Father, we do thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your infinite mercy. You're such an awesome God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword and that, Father, it would cut to the depths of our souls tonight and just reveal to us, Lord, uh, just the awesome power of your word. And, Lord, that we have learned uh, just the true signs of a, a life that's walking in the fullness of your spirit. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the example of Moses. We thank you that he wasn't a perfect man, but by your Holy Spirit, Father, by the, the call that you placed upon his life, he was able to do mighty and powerful works. And what an example that is for us. So, Lord, we just ask again, and how about our time together tonight? Be with uh, the children's ministry as well. May you be glorified in their time together. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last week in Exodus chapter 5, we saw Aaron and Moses obediently proclaim to Pharaoh the truth of God's word. The truth of what God had called them to teach. And so he went and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to openly proclaim to him that the people are going to be set free. And he went and they, they went and did that. And we talked about some of the things that happen when we are openly and bold about our faith in Christ. When you're openly proclaiming your, the, your faith in the Lord, when you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are four things we looked at last week that you will face. And these are the things that Moses faced. First of all, you will face persecution from an unbelieving world. You know, when, you, when you're excited about the things of God, the world is not going to like it. Why? Because you become a halogen light. You become a, a bright light on the sinfulness of man. And just like when, when Moses went in, he, re, he was rejected and, and ridiculed and persecuted by Pharaoh, so too will we be when we're openly bold about our faith. We also saw that last week in Moses' life when he was bold for God, that it didn't mean that it's, he was on a cruise ship to heaven. It didn't mean things were going to be perfect. A lot of times people say, come to the Lord and then your life's going to be perfect from now on. That's not the case. The reality is that quite often when you're serving the Lord with your whole heart, there's increased physical hardship. Not decreased, but increased. There are greater trials. Why? Because God uses trials in our life to draw us nearer to God. So Israel's taskmasters, remember what happened when Pharaoh went in and told them, what did he do? He said, you know what? Now you guys have to make bricks without straw. The fact that you're crying out and you want to go worship the Lord, you must have a bunch of free time on your hands. So here's what we're going to do. You're not getting any more straw. Make the bricks anyway. So him being faithful and being obedient to what God had told him to do actually increased the hardship and the amount of trials that came to Israel. Then thirdly, we saw opposition from within because after the hardship came, what happened? His own people, the leaders of Israel, came to him and said, you know, you've done harm to us. Now, they're, now the taskmasters are beating us and you've made things more difficult for us. You know, you ought to just go home. And sometimes the same thing will happen to us. As we're bold for God, there will be, even be people in the church that are like, you know what, bro, you know, church on Sunday is okay and church on Wednesday, but man, check your Christianity at the door. You don't need to be talking about God all the time. And, I, you know, I've heard that many times. And, you know, the reality is where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Amen? So what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And if you're in love with Jesus, you're going to want to talk about him. Amen? And you know what? We're going to face opposition from persecution from the outside and opposition from within. So we saw all that happening last week, and the opposition basically brought uh, a heavy heart to Moses because he looked at the people and he saw that things had not gotten better, but things had gotten worse. And as we finished off the chapter last week, I want to read this to you because I want you to see exactly the response that came and how Moses reacted. Look at the end of verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why have you brought trouble to this people? Why is it you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So he comes to the Lord and says, Lord, you sent me here. How come there's no results? 
Moses wanted immediate response, immediate results. And quite often, we can fall into that same trap. You know, we feel like if we're called to ministry, then God, God's going to part the Red Sea the first day we're doing ministry, right? We're going to go, you know, Vince and Tiffany starting youth ministry. And, you know, if you expect 500 kids to show up the first week, you, know, you just need to be faithful to whatever God puts before you. Amen? And Moses was bummed because it didn't happen as fast as God had said. God said it was going to happen, but it didn't happen immediately. When God is at work, suffering, setbacks, and hardships will still happen. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So these problems and trials came because he was being faithful. And so what does Moses do? He questions God. Well, wait a minute, God. Did you really send me here? Was this really your plan? Things have not gotten better. They've gotten worse. One of the things Pastor Don told me when I came to Santa Cruz, he said, Dave, you need to know that you know that you know that you're called to be there. You know why? Because when the first problem happens, and there's going to be one, and there's going to be many, when the first trial comes, if you don't know that you're called, you've got two, two problems. You're wondering whether you should have been there to begin with and whatever problem you're facing, right? And the same is true when we're called in the ministry, there's going to be difficulties. And just like with Moses, when he went, there was, the trials got worse when he showed up. The people were in even greater bondage because he had shown up. And you know what? If we know that we know that we know that we're in the center of God's will, we don't worry about the, con- the, the outcome. That's God's job, not ours. So we should humbly come to God, come before Him, trust Him. So tonight as we get to chapter 6, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the source of a successful calling or ministry. And, and again, the word success is used a lot of wrong ways in the world. So I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm talking about success in ministry. There being fruit. How does that happen? We're going to see tonight it originates with God and not man. It's done in His power, not ours. If we want to see ministry be flourishing and produce much fruit, it's got to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power, my power or your power. Amen? Secondly, we're going to see that God is faithful to His promises. So we walk confidently in obedience to His Word. So first of all, we do it in His power, not ours, and we walk obediently in confidence to His Word. Then lastly, we're going to see that we are simply tools in His hand. That has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with Him. We walk in obedience to the gift He's given us, and God brings the fruit. We're also going to see tonight the ancestry of Moses and Aaron. We're going to see how it authenticates their, their calling, and also it's a picture of God's grace. And then lastly, we'll see God reaffirm His calling upon Moses' life. So Moses ends, his faith's been challenged, and as we pick up in chapter 6, we're going to see the source of a successful calling or ministry. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I shall do to the Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. So the first thing that must happen when Moses is at this point, what, how's Moses feeling when the Lord speaks to him here? Moses is at his wit's end. Moses feels like a total failure. Moses feels like he's brought more harm than he's done good. And in the last part of the chapter, he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, why have you brought me here? He's at the end of himself. So what is the first key to a successful and fruitful ministry? The first key is a broken and a humble heart. Moses comes before the Lord and he's broken and says, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, look, it's not happening. And the Lord responds to him this way. He said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. You know what? When we come to the end of ourselves, then we see God work. Amen? When we realize I can't do it, when we realize all my plans, all my programs, all my graphs, all my charts, all my, you know, all my, all my worldly box things that I brought out to try to make it happen haven't worked, then we come to the end of ourselves, and then we can see God work. Amen? When we are weak, He is made strong. 
If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Moses was thinking, maybe I should go back and, and watch the sheep again. He felt like his efforts had only made things worse, but when he's at a loss, that's when God does great things. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now that the circumstances have come to the point of crisis, things are as bad as they can be. Pharaoh's at the height of his pride. Israel's at the depth of its misery. Now it's God's time to appear. Have you ever noticed that the greatest opportunity for ministry is in the most difficult of circumstances? Have you ever noticed that? A lot of times we'll say, man, that just doesn't seem right. And, we're, you know, and we should have a broken heart for people going through difficulty. But sometimes, virtually all the time, that difficulty is happening. It's for God's perfect will. Amen? Somebody at work loses a child. Oh, man, that, that doesn't even seem right. Opportunity for ministry. Amen? God's faithful. We should be brokenhearted for them, but at the same time, opportunity for ministry. Somebody loses their job. Opportunity for ministry. Somebody's having struggle in their marriage. Opportunity for ministry. Someone's going through financial problems. Opportunity for ministry. Someone has just found out that they've got cancer. Opportunity for ministry. And this is exactly what's happening here. The people of Israel are in total despair. Pharaoh's at the ultimate moment of pride in his entire life. He's got him under his thumb. I'm going to show them who their God is. It's me. And it's not this God they want to go worship. And that's the greatest opportunity in the world for ministry. It's in the midst of man's greatest difficulty that we see the greatest opportunity for ministry. The Bible says in Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. When God sees those times of difficulty, that's when God rises up. And He comes and He meets people right where they are. The second source of a successful calling is that it originates with God, not with men. Look what He says there. He says, I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. Whose strong hand? Not Pharaoh's strong hand, God's strong hand. God is going to show his power to Pharaoh. He's going to show Pharaoh who God really is. Pharaoh is waving his fist at God. Oh, you guys want to go worship your God? Make bricks without straw. I'm going to show you who God really is. And there is a point in a time where God ceases to have mercy and grace, and he brings judgment. Amen? And Pharaoh, guess what, Pharaoh? Now you're going to find out who God really is. And you're going to see the strong hand of God at work. Not the strong hand of Moses, but the strong hand of God. It originates with God, not men. It's done in His power. It is by the strong and powerful hand of God that Pharaoh would let His people go. Verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Now the, the third thing is God is faithful to His promises. And because He's faithful to His promises, we can walk in obedience to Him. You know what? If you walk in obedience to God, you will never do wrong. Amen? What is God's highest? What is God's plan? Instead of saying, what makes the most sense to me physically, what is God's plan? What is God's will? People will move across country and never once think to pray and seek God's will or God's plan or God's heart. And we need to trust Him in every aspect of things that we do. And He says here, I am the Lord. He's reminding Moses, I am the Lord. Hey, Moses, you know how you're fretting and you're despairing? I want you to know that I'm going to come with my strong hand and I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do. And you haven't seen it happen immediately, but it doesn't mean I'm not still in control. It doesn't mean I'm not still sovereign and I'm still God. And I'm going to bring my people out of bondage. I'm going to do it. And you're going to see it with my mighty and my strong hand. And oh, by the way, remember me? I am the Lord. Amen? You're worried about Pharaoh? I am the Lord. You're worried about your boss? I'm Almighty God, creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega. That's who's on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Moses, you have nothing to worry about. You don't need to fret Pharaoh. You don't have to worry about how much straw he takes away. You don't have to worry about how many lashes he's beating his people with. I'm still God, and I'm still in control. The word, I am the Lord, means he is the very same self-existent, eternal God. The word there is Yahweh. Yahweh. I am the Lord. It's interesting, as we're going to move on through the text, that though that name's been mentioned before, they refer to God as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the mighty and the powerful God. But Yahweh refers to the God who is the God of promise and the God who is the Redeemer of mankind, the one who would deliver us from our sin. And when he addresses himself to Moses this time, he says, I am Yahweh, I am the Redeemer, I am the Deliverer. That's exactly who he is, amen? And as he delivers Egypt out of bondage, so too he will deliver us from our sin if we will trust in him. He had been there with the, with the, the patriarchs and he's now with Moses. And you know what's interesting to me, let's, let's read verse 2 and 3. It says here, And God said, spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty. But by, name, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. They knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty. All God, mighty God, the provider but I am Yahweh. I'm also Yahweh. I'm God the Redeemer. I'm God the Deliverer. Amen? And you know what's awesome about our God? The very same God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was now speaking to Moses. And you know what made me think about it? I wrote this down real quick. In like two minutes, I just started writing. This is the same God who was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It's the same God who was on the ark with Noah. It's the same God who was in Egypt with Joseph when he was sold into slavery. It's the same God who was in the lion's den with Daniel. The same God who was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the same God who appeared on Mount Sinai with Moses. It's the same God who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a sinless, perfect life, who overcame temptation, who healed the lame, the blind, the deaf, and the lepers. It's the very same God who raised Lazarus, Tabitha, Jeru's daughter, and many others from the dead. It's the very same God who calmed the sea with His very words. He's this very same God who ministered to Nicodemus, to the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, and many others. He's the very same God who fed the 5,000, the very same God who called the apostles, the very same God who suffered and died in our place that we might have eternal life. It's the very same God who rose from the dead. It's the very same God who, re- who intercedes for us daily. And the very same God that's going to work with you tomorrow. Amen? The very same God who's going to be in your house tonight. The very same God who walks with you, who talks with you, who ministers to you, who loves you, who provides for you, who cares for you. Man, that's an awesome God. Amen? And it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so Moses, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm the God of, Mo- I'm the God of all, all mankind. Amen? And here's Moses talking to him. And this is the God of my fathers. And he's the God of our father, of our, our earthly fathers. And he is our heavenly father. I love it. So whether you're in a time of great difficulty, a time of great trials, just remember, you're not in it alone. The same God that was in the fiery furnace is with you in the fiery furnace at work. The same God who's in the lion's den with Daniel is with you if you're going through difficulties in your home or in your marriage or with your finances. And praise the Lord. So God Almighty is El Shaddai. Yahweh, again, means that He is the the one who redeems us, who delivers us. He's both the provider, God Almighty, and the Redeemer, Yahweh. He's both. Amen? And you know what? We can give Him a thousand names and it wouldn't even begin to describe Him. Verse 4, I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. So we see also our God's faithfulness to His covenant, 
to His promise to deliver them from bondage, to give them a land of promise. His promise to deliver us also from the bondage of sin and death, to give us a land of heaven. Don't you love looking at Old Testament stories and seeing how, how they so clearly apply to our lives today? Being in bondage in Egypt is a picture of us being in bondage to sin. Right? And they toiled in bondage for 400 years. No man could deliver them. Only God could. Amen? Just as we were in bondage to sin, no man could deliver you. Only God could. And He delivered them and brought them in to the land of promise. And He delivers us and He brings us into the land of promise. Amen? So praise the Lord. God is so good. And I love this way the Old Testament ties into us today. So we see His faithfulness to His covenant. Verse 5, I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. So not only does he, is he faithful to his covenant, but he's faithful to his people. It says there that our, our God is a God of compassion, who sees us in our times of heartache and groanings, crying out to him. I love the fact that God sees me when, no matter what. He sees me when I'm struggling. How many of you have ever felt like you're going through a difficulty all by yourself? Raise your hand. My hand's up. You know what? That's the lie of the devil. Amen? You're not alone. He loves you. Again, I'm a parent, so I think of things from a, from a dad's point of view. And I look at my kids, and I think, if my kids were going through a difficulty, how much would I do to help them? Everything. If one of my kids was sick and they told me it was going to be a million dollars, the surgery is going to be a million dollars that would heal them. I will sell everything I have and I'll sign a, a debt of promise for the rest of my life to work to pay it back. Why? Because my kids are worth that much to me. And I think, well, wait a minute. If I'm a sinful man and I feel this way about my earthly children, how much does perfect God care about us? Amen? And so when you're going through a trial, just remember that the way that you love your kids or the way that your parents love you, that God loves you infinitely more. And He's a perfect and a holy God. Who cares? And you don't, you don't have to go through those trials alone. When you're crying out, He hears you, and He cares for you, and He loves you, and He's a faithful God. We'll also see that God is faithful to His promises. Look at verse 6. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. God tells Moses to put aside his broken spirit, his feelings of inadequacy, and to return to the people. And Moses is to respond as he does in obedience. But guess who does the work? Not Moses, God. Who gets the glory when, when God does something awesome? Never men, always God. Amen? He alone is glorified. He alone should be honored. He alone should be praised. You know what? Even in the church, we've got to be careful that sometimes we lift up men way too stinking much. Amen? It blows me away after a Christian concert that people flood the front and want to get autographs. What is that about? You know, hey, I'm a rock star, right? I mean, you know, we used to have Christian concerts in San Jose and certain groups would, we'd call them and ask them to come and we're doing a thing where a couple thousand teenagers are coming and it's going to be awesome and they want 15 grand to come lead people in worship. Wait, stop. Wait a minute. You want 50? God, yeah, God called me, and, and it's going to cost you 15 grand, and you're going to have to fly 22 people first class, and we're going to need a, 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 you know, a, tailored, a, a catered buffet, and here's the items we want on it. We want Starbucks coffee made with Avion water through copper fittings, and, you know, yeah, and they send you a 72 page thing, and I'm just like, my heart breaks. My heart breaks. Can you imagine? Hey, Jesus, would you come and speak to my son? Well, your son's sick. It's going to be 50 grand. 
Going to need food for 12 more guys. I got some apostles with me. And we, here's, we got to have prime rib. You know what I mean? You don't see that in the Word. Amen? And it breaks my heart to see that, that we puff up men and we elevate men when we should only glorify God. Amen? I love what Chuck says. Touch not the women, touch not the wine, touch not the money, touch not the glory. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the praise. It's not about us, it's about Him. Any gift you have, God gave you. Hobbes gifted for worship, but Hobbes should not be glorified. God should be glorified. Amen? God gave him the gift. He's being obedient. So he will be blessed in heaven because he's been obedient. And he'll get to see fruit from the ministry. Others of you are gifted in teaching or you're, you're gifted in helps or service or whatever it might be. And you should not be glorified, but God should be glorified. Amen? To him alone be the glory and the honor and the praise. And so God tells Moses, look, put aside all your feelings of inadequacy, put aside everything, and I want you to go, and you'll be obedient to me, and I will be the one that will deliver them out of Egypt. I'll do it. Now we see here in these three verses, seven I wills. He doesn't say Moses will. He doesn't say the people will. He says I will. Why? Because he's God. We can see three promises. His first one is deliverance from Egypt. He says, I will bring you out, I will free you, and I will redeem you. What is this a picture of? I will bring you out of bondage. Who's that a picture of? That's Jesus. I will free you. Who frees us from sin? That's Jesus. Who will redeem us? Pays the price that we could not pay. Who's that? That's Jesus. So the, promise, the first promise is a picture of our Savior, Jesus, our Redeemer. He redeems us. It says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out and from under the burdens of Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. God is going to be the one to do the work. You know what? If we want to see ministry happen, we need to die and get out of the way and let God work. Amen? We need to stop planning and programming and thinking of ways we can do it. And we need to get on our face before God and cry out in desperation to Him and ask Him to move mightily and ask Him to work in and through these unworthy vessels, which is exactly what we are, and watch what God will do. Then and only then can we see God do a great work. When we deny ourselves, when we allow Him to be glorified, Him to be magnified, Him to be praised. It says, and with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That word outstretched arm points to God revealing His power and Pharaoh's about to see it. We're going to see in the next few chapters that Pharaoh's going to find out who God is. And it's not Him. Amen? One of my favorite lines in a movie that I really like is this young man comes in for some counsel to this this man, and the man says to him, you know, in all my years of ministry, there's only two facts that I know for sure. There is a God, and I'm not Him. And that's a fact. That's a good place for us to start, amen? There is a God, and you're not Him. A lot of the cults think you're going to be God. You're never going to be God. You're not going to be like God. You're not. You're sinners separated from Him in need, for, need of a Savior, amen? And so we see here that He's with His outstretched arm. He's going to reveal His power. Verse 7, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So not only will He deliver them from Egypt, but He will take them as His possession. So not only does He deliver us from our sin, but He adopts us into His family. Not only does He deliver us from the bondage of sin and death that would separate us from God for all eternity, but then He adopts us into His family and He makes us His children. The Bible says that we are His treasured possession. That blows me away. Every time I think about the fact that, wait a minute, The one who spoke the stars into the sky, the one who can create anything he wants, what does he treasure? You know what the world treasures? You can figure it out. What do we work so hard to attain? We know what our treasure is. But what does God treasure? He treasures you. Does not blow you away. The next time the world tries to tell you you are of no value, 
Remember what was paid for you. The way you determine the value of something of what somebody's willing to pay. And Almighty God came to earth and suffered and died for you because He loves you. So how valuable are you to God? You are His treasured possession. He loves you more than anything. That's pretty awesome. And it says there that I will make you my possession. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8. And I will bring you into a land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Do we know who's talking here? Is he making it pretty clear? I am the Lord. I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the Redeemer. I am the Deliverer. Only through me will you be freed from this bondage. So he says, I'm going to give you deliverance from Egypt. I'm going to make you my possession. I'm going to adopt you. And then I'm going to give you a land of promise. Doesn't it blow your mind to think about heaven? Ever think about heaven? Gives me a headache when I do. Because I know that no matter how awesome and great I think it's going to be, it's going to be way, way better than that. Amen? I remember we were, we were at the pa- a bunch of pastors from San Jose. Our Pastor Don used to take us up to Yosemite every year just for like a three-day getaway and we'd pray and just really focus on ministry. I remember we're standing out looking at Half Dome and it's pretty, I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite, it's a pretty awesome site. We're looking at it, we're all standing there and Pastor Don, just the king of understatement, he's standing behind us and he goes, you know, compared to heaven, this is a dung heap. And it's true. You know, compared to heaven, this is fallen nature, right? This is what, this is what has come out of sinfulness, If it's this beautiful with sin being here, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Amen? And more importantly than that, you know, people talk about, oh, I'm going to be looking at the gold streets. No, you're not. Because you know what? It's going to be like asphalt in heaven. Amen? You don't go around checking out the asphalt because everything else around is so much more beautiful. And you know what's more important to me than than everything else that's in heaven? Is we're going to see Jesus. Amen? We're going to see Him. I I, I can't wait. I'm going to see the Lord. I'm going to see, it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be around his throne praising him forever and ever and ever more, the Bible says. There's going to be no pain, no sorrow, no death, no suffering, no division in the body of Christ, no persecution, none of it. We're going to be around his throne forever. And so what does he say? What's the promise? He's going to deliver him from bondage. He's going to make them his possession. And he's going to give them a land of promise. And that's exactly the same thing he did for us. He delivered us from the bondage of sin. He then made us his children. And then he is going to give us a land of promise. Verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Moses spoke to the people now because God had informed him, go, I want you to go speak. And no doubt Moses went back fired up. Can you imagine if the Lord came and showed up and gave you some instructions? You might be pretty fired up to go share that. Amen? The Lord came and said, Dave, I want you to go to work tomorrow. I want you to stand up on the desk. And at 9 o'clock, I want you to tell everybody about me. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be at 8.30. Wait, no, it's almost 9. You know, I'd be, I'd be excited, right? And that's what happened to Moses. I want you to go back, and I want you to do it again, Mo. Come on, now let, go back there, and I want you to talk to him. All right. Then he gets there, and what happens? They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Again, we looked at it on Sunday. Parable of the sower. God has called us to spread the seed. Right? Amen? We're faith- we need to be faithful to spread God's word. But you know what? The kind of ground it falls on has nothing to do with us. Amen? Some ground's hard, some ground's thorny, some ground's by the, you know, shallow, and some ground's going to bear much fruit. But that's God's job. That's God's job to bring the increase. Amen? 
And so, but we need to be faithful nonetheless to keep spreading the seed. So Moses goes. Now remember that the last time in the end of chapter 4 when he showed up and he told him, you know what, God spoke to me in a burning bush and he told me to come and tell you guys that your bondage is over and we're all going to get, you're all going to be set free and you're going to come into the land of promise that's been promised to you. Oh, and it said that they worshiped the Lord. They were excited when they heard it the first time. They received it with great joy. Kind of like the parable of the the ones in the shallow soil, right? And then guess what? Didn't take very deep root. First trial that came along, blew away. Guess what? Things didn't get better. Things got worse. Moses comes back and says, God's promise is still true. He's still going to deliver you. And it says they did not even listen to Moses. They didn't even want to hear what he had to say. Why? Because of the difficulties that they were going through. Because of the difficulties of life. You know what? When we get focused on the burdens of life, we don't hear God speak. When you're so focused on the struggles that you're going through right now, you don't hear the Lord. You just don't have time. You're too busy and focused on everything else. As Christians, we must remain in constant fellowship with the Lord so that fear, worry, anxiety over worldly struggles don't keep us from hearing from the Lord. Be mindful of His promises. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll... he'll, no matter what is given to you, he'll never give you more than you can handle with his help. So fourthly, a source of a successful calling in ministry, as we are simply tools in his hands. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. So the Lord says to him, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh. Now wait a minute. You want me to go tell Pharaoh? You just told me to go tell Israel And my results weren't too good. Look at verses 12 and 13. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Well, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I I have uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel, for Pharaoh the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So he he goes to the people of Israel, and they don't listen. And now the Lord says, I want you to go to the Pharaoh, and I want you to talk to him. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I just went and talked to my own people. I just went down to my own church and shared with them, and they threw rocks at me. And they told me to get lost. Now you want me to go out and minister to people in the jungle? I mean, there's no way. The people in my church won't even listen to what I have to say. You want me to go talk to Pharaoh? And that's exactly what the Lord's telling them to do. God directs Moses to once again to go in and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. But Moses hesitated. His seal had been dampered by his people's response. My people won't listen. Lord, you couldn't possibly use me. He says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. What does that mean? He says, I'm morally unclean. I'm unable to speak with eloquence. And what initially could be perceived as a humble response at this point has become doubt. It's one thing to say to God when He comes to you and says, I want to use you, and you're blown away because you're humble, right? In humility, you say, Lord, you can't use me. There's no way. I'm not gifted enough. But if the Lord comes to you and says, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you mightily, I'm going before you, I'm going to go to Pharaoh, He's going to let the people go, They're going to be, He's going to say no initially, then I'm going to deliver them out of bondage, and I'm going to use you, and you still say no, that goes from being humility to doubt. If God is calling us, it's one thing to be humble, but it's yet another thing to doubt Him. To say, Lord, no, you couldn't possibly do it. God knows better than we do. Amen? And God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And we should be humble. And we should be blown away that God can use us. But we should never doubt God's Word. Amen? And the only way we can do that is to be in constant communion with Him. 
God had clearly and repeatedly answered Moses' doubts of his own abilities, telling him that he would deliver Israel. He had done the miracles with them back in, earlier in Exodus. Remember? He showed him the put the staff on the ground. He did all these miraculous works to show him that he truly was with him, but yet still he didn't believe. We are simply tools in the Master's hands. We need to remember that it's not us, it's our Master that they're dealing with. I've told you the story repeatedly. David and Goliath. Goliath, you know, between nine and a half feet and 11 feet tall, between 625 and 750 pounds, come down to the Valley of Elah every day and challenging someone to come out and fight him. And every single day, they wouldn't do it. You come out, you know, can you imagine how deep your voice would be if you were 11 foot 750? You know what I mean? Can you imagine that rattling through the Valley of Elah? You know, come out, come out, right? You know, and they, and they all run away and hide. And David shows up, a little, little kid with a slingshot, and he shows up delivering cheese to his brothers. And he hears this voice, right? Come out, come out, you servant, you know, and he's, he's, he's afraid. Oh man, I defy you, the armies of Israel, come down and fight me. Uh, and they're all shaken. And what does David say? Who's this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against Almighty God? I'll fight him. And everybody makes fun of him. Oh, you're just a kid. They try to put armor on him, trying to do things from a worldly perspective. David said, no, no, I'll go fight him because God's on my side. If God is for me, who can be against me? You all know the story. Slingshot, boom, 11 foot seven. Can you imagine the crash of that sound made? I just see a picture of David, you know, the, the dust, you know, is flying in the air and and all the guys come out from behind their rocks, you know, to see what's happening. And there's David standing on top of Goliath, holding his head in his hand. Yeah, right? And that's what happened. And all the Philistines ran away. Why? Because David didn't see 11 foot 750 against a little skinny kid. He saw mere men against Almighty God. We are just tools in the hands of the Master. You know what? A few years ago, I was visiting my parents when I still lived in Lancaster. And I got the worst toothache of my entire life. I was in so much pain, I didn't know what to do with myself. This was probably maybe seven or eight years ago. So I got the phone book out, and I found somebody that would see me. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and it said emergencies. And the guy's like, I'm going to have to charge. I go, look, you can have my car. I don't care. Just fix my tooth. I'm in so much pain, I don't care. It's going to cost double. Make it quintuple. I don't care. Will you see me? Yeah. So I drive down there, and he's having to do everything by himself. And when he got that pain out of my, oh, man, it was, the, oh, it was so good. He, he had to do a root canal right there on the spot. And, and, man, I felt so much better. And then I went to pay him. Now, when he was done working on my teeth, I didn't grab the drill and go, oh, thank you, drill. You're such an awesome and a powerful drill. Thank you so much. For, you know, I said thank you to the dentist, right? Why? Because the drill is worthless if it's not in the hands of the dentist. Amen? If they just handed me that drill, I'd have done way more damage than good, right? I mean, I'd, I'd have been in more pain than I started with. And so, too, we should not be praising the tools. We should not praise the men. It's that those men in the hand of the master become valuable. Amen? But if they're not in the master's hand, they're of no value whatsoever. And that's what we are. We're just his tools. We're drills and picks and things like that, that God uses, but He alone be glorified, because if, if you take those tools out of His hand, they're of absolutely no value. Verse 13, it says, Then He spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command. Moses' doubt and objection was answered by the Lord's command to lead the people out of Egypt. If God calls us, He will be the one to produce the fruit. When we feel adequate, Inadequate, excuse me, as we all should, remember his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So what are the four things I talked about? The source of a successful calling in ministry. One, humility and brokenness before God. Two, doing things in his power, not ours. 
Three, walking confidently in obedience to God, trusting in His promises. And then lastly, remembering that we are simply tools in His hands, that we are of no value without our Master. Amen? You want to see successful ministry? Be broken. You want to see God do a mighty work? Totally trust in Him, not in in yourself. You want to see God do awesome things in your life? Walk in obedience to Him. Don't, Don't... Turn to the right or to the left. Be totally sold out for God and watch what He'll do. And just remember that you're a tool in His hands. And what's awesome about that is it takes the responsibility away from me. Amen? I'm just a tool, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Use me as you will. Send me, Lord. Amen? Have that attitude and that heart. Use me, Lord. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. You just want to use me. Let's finish up. Ancestry of Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 14. These are the heads of the Father... Father's house, or their father's house. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Jashin, Zohar, and Sheol, the son of the Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to the generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the years of the life of Levi, were 137 years. Now, why is he go all of a sudden, right in the middle of this, we see a genealogy. Why? Here's what I believe. I believe it is confirming that these were the guys who were called by God to be used by God. And we see the, the, the authenticity of their ancestry. But we also see yet another lesson in God's grace. Because who are the three of the 12 tribes of Israel that are mentioned here? Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. What do we remember about them from our Genesis study? What kind of guys were these guys? Jacob called him in and said, you know what? None of you are getting the birthright. None of you. Why? Reuben slept with, with one of his father's wives. Okay, a lot of problems with that sentence, right? One of his father's wives. That's not good. And then he slept with one of his father's wives. So Reuben, you're done. You don't get the birthright. You're done. Levi and Simeon, after uh, Dinah went out and was raped, went out and made a false agreement with the Shechemites and said, if you guys will be circumcised, then you can have Dinah and you can marry our people and we'll marry your people. Well, it was really a plot. And as soon as these guys got circumcised, this is on the third day when they were all real, real sore and couldn't move, that these guys went in there and killed all the men. So Reuben was an adulterer and Simeon and Levi were murderers. And so who do we see the lineage of Moses and Aaron? Levi. We know that the Levites is what line? What kind of line? The priestly line came out of the Levites. But yet Levi was a murderer. What does that tell us? It tells us about God's grace. Amen? That he can take the line of a murderer, one who was passed over by Jacob, and still use his sons to be the priests in Israel. And what that tells me is that no matter what you've done in your life, God can still use you. Amen? Don't you love the fact that the Bible doesn't dial down the, the sins of its patriarchs? You still see Abraham. Oh, she's my sister. Yeah, she's just my sister. I'm really. Right? Abraham. Abraham! She's my sister. Right? You see, you see Jacob doing the same thing. You see, I mean Isaac and Jacob. You see these guys blowing it. You see them losing their faith. You see them making mistakes. And I'm glad that we see it in a sense because it lets me know that God can still use me. Because it's not the tool. It's the tool in the hand of the master that makes it useful for the kingdom of God. And so we see a picture of God's grace. And we see that through this lineage of Levi, that God in the midst of, a, midst of it can take a murderer and use this murderer for His glory. Verse 18, And the sons of Kohath were Amram, 
Izhar, Hebron, Uziel, and the, and the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushai, these are the families of Levi according to their generations. It's interesting to note that Moses' father did not come out of the eldest son. And the reason that that's important, again, is that the birthright was supposed to fall to the oldest son, but it goes to show that our salvation does not come by our birth, but our rebirth. Amen? It's not a physical thing by, our, by, who, by how we were born, but what we've done in accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? And the oldest son was passed over. Why? We don't know for sure. But we know that God chose the younger son. We know that Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Why? Because Esau was a man who turned his back on God, and Jacob didn't. God knows our heart from the beginning to the end. Verse 20, we're almost done. Now Amram took for himself Joshebed, his father's sister, as his wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. So what does that mean? It means that Moses and Aaron were born out of an incestuous relationship. Doesn't that blow your mind? Don't you yet again see God's grace? In the midst of incest, God brought forth men he would use. People say to me all the time, well, Pastor Dave, God can't use me. You don't know what my family was like. Have you ever looked at any of the families in the Bible and seen the kind of people God uses? Oh, my family's dysfunctional. God couldn't use me. Hey, Adam and Eve, their first two sons, one of them killed the other one. How much more dysfunction do you want? Amen? I mean, Cain and Abel, first two guys, one of them killed the other one, right? I mean, people make excuses. Well, it's my, oh, it's my parent. Uh, you know, I, hey, wait a minute. God can use us in the midst of anything. Amen? Why? Because he's the one that does the work. It's not my pedigree. It's not how much money I have in the bank. It's not how eloquent I am. It's just a simple tool in the hand of the master. The sons of Israel were Korah, Nepheg. Man, these are some nice names. Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zitri. Aaron took himself Elisheba, daughter of Abinadab, sister of Nashon, his wife, and she bore Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Ashir, Elkanah, Abishaph, and these are the families of the Korahites. Now, the only reason these guys are in here, let me tell you. This is verse 25. Eleazar's Aaron's son took for himself the daughters of Peul as his wife, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, according to their families. Why are they mentioned? Because the son and the grandson of Aaron would become the high priest in Israel. The sons and the grandson of Aaron became the high priest in Israel, but yet Aaron was born out of an incestuous relationship. Aaron, we know, is not, has only yet begun to blow it. Right? What happens when, when a few chapters from now, when they, after they pass through the Red Sea and, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai, what's Aaron doing? Who remembers? He's making a golden calf. Let's bow down and worship. Moses, man, he's been gone a long time. Forget it. He's not coming back. Let's make a God. He just passed through the Red Sea. Right? Didn't the Red Sea just open up? Didn't you just see the hand? Of, didn't you see the plagues? Were you there when the plagues? How about Passover? And here they get there and they go, oh, let's make a calf. Yeah, let's get our gold. And then Moses comes down and he's not happy. Right? He throws the Ten Commandments down. He looks over and, Mo, and Aaron says, oh, well, we just put our gold in the pot and this big calf popped out of there. Aaron! This is Aaron! This is Aaron. His son and his grandson are going to be the high priest in Israel. Doesn't it show you a picture of God's grace? Amen? It shows that, man, whoa, God can use knuckleheads like Aaron's kids, right? I mean, Aaron! Golden calf, Aaron! And God still used them. 
Man, that's so, what a blessing. What an encouragement to me. Wow, God could probably use me if he can use Aaron, right? If he can use these guys. Man, blowing it. I mean, can you pass through the Red Sea and then making a golden cat? Man, I struggle with that. Verse 26. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. This is the very same Aaron and Moses. The ones that are in this genealogy, it points to the fact that they truly are ancestors of Levi, that they truly are the ones that God had foreordained that he would use. Now, a lot of questions about foreordained. Let me just make it real clear to you. God knows the future and we still choose. Amen? We still have a free will to accept or reject God, and God knows what we're going to do. How come He knows? Because He's God. Amen? We're finite man trying to understand infinite God. Let me just tell you, He's God, He knows. Does God know what you're going to do tomorrow? Yes. Does God know the future? Absolutely. The Bible said that before time began, that Jesus Christ was a lamb slain. Amen? How could he be a lamb slain before time began? Because God knew that they were going to sin in the garden. God knew he was going to have to send a Savior. He knew he was going to come to earth and suffer and die. How does he know he's God? We're finite man. He's infinite God. Will we fully understand and be able to grasp how awesome our God is? The answer is no. Aren't you glad that you don't serve a God that you can totally understand? Right? Amen? Oh, yeah. He's, yeah here's what he, I mean, I have a glimpse of what he's like, and it's awesome. Amen? He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. And when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, but Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What kind of man was Jesus? He laid down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for a friend. That's the God that we serve. A God who values you as his treasured possession. He loves you so very, very much. What an awesome God we serve. Almost done. Verse 27. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, the same ones that God had called. Moses and Aaron, these are Israelites, descendants of Levi. They're the same ones I've sent to speak on my behalf before Pharaoh. Verse 28. And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh the king all that I say to you. I am the Lord, the ever-present one, who cares for His people, who fulfills His promises, the Redeemer and the Deliverer. But look, I want you to see this. One of the last things. To speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, what's the next word? All that I say to you. We as Christians are to share with people the whole counsel of God. Not some of what He says, but all of what He says. The Bible says that as a pastor, my job is, my calling is that I'm just a drill in the hand of a master. But my calling is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the only way I can do that is to teach you the whole counsel of God. That's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the whole Bible. We don't just, you know, I don't have pet doctrines. Get up here and speak on giving every week. You know, you need to give. I need a new car. Give, right? I mean, that's not what I'm doing. We're not speaking on pet doctrines. We're not talking about healing every week or this every week. We're teaching the whole counsel of God. Speak to him all that the Lord has told you. You go to Egypt, you don't hold anything back from Pharaoh. You tell him everything that I told you to say. And you know what? We need to do the same thing to a lost and a dying world. We need to speak to them all that God has revealed to us. Verse 30, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? You know what? Sometimes I look at Moses and I think, what a knucklehead. And then other times I think, man, he reminds me a lot of me. Sometimes God seems, to, it seems like He has to tell me stuff ten times. Amen? 
You ever notice that? God will tell you something, and then He tells you again, and He tells you again. And this is such a picture of God's grace, that even though I blow it, He'll come back, and He'll call me again, and He'll tell me again, and He'll instruct me yet again. So next week, we're going to see how God's going to take this doubting man with physical shortcomings, and He's going to use him mightily. Just like He can take doubting men and women in this room with physical shortcomings and use us for His glory. So as the worship team comes, summary. The source of a successful ministry, humility and brokenness before God, doing things in His power, not ours. It originates with God, not men. Walking confidently in obedience to God and His Word, trusting His promises. Remembering that we are simply tools in His hand. In the ancestry of Moses and Aaron, we saw a vivid picture of God's grace as a deliverer came through the line of a, a murderer named Levi. We also see that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Where man has totally blown it, God can do a work. And then lastly, we see God reaffirm His calling upon Moses. Don't you guys, I want you guys to know that God's calling is irrevocable. And that God has a calling on every one of us in this room tonight. And all He wants us to be is tools that will say, Lord, I want to be in the hand of the Master. I want to be in your hand. I want you to use me. That you might be glorified. I don't care about the praises of men, but I want people to know you. I want people to honor you. I want people to serve you. I want people to see you in me. And you know what? That's a, that is a, a prayer that God will answer every single time. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the example and just the way that we see that it's not about our eloquence. It's not about how articulate we are. It's not even about how faithful we attempt to be. But Lord, it says we trust in you that you do a mighty work in and through us. So Father, we just ask, Lord, that we would be tools in the hands of the Master, that you might be glorified, that we might make a, an imprint on this world for your kingdom. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship and honor your name. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship.